Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, where once every 40 books, we kill off a beloved character to teach kids that drugs are bad. Book number 40, On the Edge. Is it all over between Regina and Bruce? So, hi! Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries. I am your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and I am joined today by guests, Dr. Anjali and Greg Kazanick. Hi, Greg and Anjali. Hey, how's it going? You know, I've been getting messages from people that are really warming my heart about how they've been listening to the podcast, and it's been so great to have, you know, something that's a distraction from all the pain and sadness and fear in the world. And um, boy, I would love for this to be an episode that was also serving that purpose, but um, I don't know if it can be, because this is an episode that for 39 books now, uh, we have been building up to, and I have just been dreading uh, just kind of dropping this bomb on on the poor listenership of the readership of the world. I mean, most of you probably already know what happens in this book, but it's bad. It's bad news. Uh, But hey, Greg and Anjali, uh, is this your first Sweet Valley High novel? <laughs> yes, yes, and 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 it was a doozy. I was I, I was a roller coaster for me. Yeah, it was my first novel as well. Uh, not not novel ever. It's my first Sweet Valley High novel. <laughs> uh, and boy, I had no idea what to expect. I really thought that these books were one thing, um, and they turned out to be something completely different. So yeah, I can't wait to talk about it. Oh my gosh! Well, I'm really eager to unpack that a little bit, but also. I guess I want to say right off the bat that these books usually are something that this book is not. Um, I think that Sweet Valley High novels typically are are kind of like romance novels in that, you know, you go in, something intense and scary happens, and then there's a happy ending. Um, And maybe the happy ending doesn't come in that book. There have been a couple of cases like um, Elizabeth's motorcycle accident and the fallout from that and... When Trisha Martin dies, which doesn't come up in this book, but the listeners, gladiators know what I'm talking about. That's way back when Trisha Martin died. You know, but it's like the characters heal and we move on. And bad things happen to people, but usually they're not people that we know very well. And this is a book where something terrible happens and it's not a happy ending. And you think it's all set up like, okay, she's going to be saved in the last minute. And, you know, spoiler alert, like this is the book. This is the one where uh, where Regina Morrow dies. I, I feel like I have to say it at the top. Is that bad to say it at the top? No, I don't think so. I think even knowing that she dies, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that that... Again, I had no expectations about what this would be. So I thought that, yeah, maybe this would be a little bit more like a, you know, the the serialized version of a sitcom like Saved by the Bell or something yeah. where somebody, you know, what's the one where Jesse ends up on on speed? Oh, my God. She's on, um, like, caffeine pills yeah. is what the, how they call it because Hot Sunday has to perform for, like, a music executive and she's also trying to study a lot and she doesn't have time to practice. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot about that scene because I used to perform it by request when I was in high school as like a one woman show, which maybe gladiators, if you want, maybe that can be a bonus episode during the hiatus, which is is forthcoming. I can perform for you, Mike. Yes. Okay. 
but yeah, I thought it would be something, uh, you know, akin to that where yeah. we see a character go through this really hard time. People learn lessons. They come out the other end, closer friends. And so uh, it, it was definitely a, a shock to me. But I think I think knowing that up front will color a lot of our observations going in through the through the beginning of the book and where things are leading, because it definitely doesn't seem like it's going to get that dark. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I I read the book after Greg read the book, and so I didn't know that this beloved character was going to die at the end, so Greg knew where I was when I was reading, where I'm like, what? (laughs) It was so fast! It it does, things escalate very quickly. Yeah, it gets... uh... Here's how much of an Elizabeth I am. I started reading this book and I was like, I, for, for weeks now, uh, go back and listen to the tape. It's, it's out available for public hearing. I've been saying, oh, Amy thinks that she and Bruce are going to get together, but Amy's full of shit. Bruce would never leave Regina. You guys, I have read this book before. I was so caught up. It's been a long time, but I was so caught up in the idea that like Amy's a liar, Bruce and Regina have a happy relationship. And remembering some of the things that we'll get to that happen in this book that I had like rewritten history in my head that it was all a big misunderstanding, which is very common in in these books, misunderstandings. So my gosh, we're champing at the bit to like really get into the plot, but I feel like we should um, set the stage for the listeners by describing the cover of this book. Oh boy, uh, where do we begin? I, I don't so I don't know these characters at all. Again, first time first time reader here. Um, well, after after reading it, I mean, I am you ma- kind of assume who who the girl is. On the I cover. think it's Regina. Yeah, is that is that Regina Morrow on the cover? It's Regina Morrow. She looks weird though. Like her, she just looks much less glamorous than she usually does. Right. Yeah, she looks a little bit hungover. To be honest, <laughs> she's kind of holding her. <laughs> Her head in her hand. She's resting her head on her hand, and her forearm looks really long. I think the illustrator was just trying to get that pose right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I think she's pining over uh, a photo, a framed photo of Bruce that's on her vanity. I think or, that's Bruce. or perhaps Tony Danza. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's a black. Everybody has black and white photos in this universe. There's another cover where Jessica is holding a black and white photo of Elizabeth. Um, in this, so Regina has a black and white photo of Bruce Patman that looks ripped straight off of the cover of book three, Playing With Fire. That is classic Bruce Patman face. Okay. You can see how you're getting Tony Danza vibes. Mm-hmm. Right. And I wasn't... I was gonna, just going to say, she's just like, has her elbow on her vanity and she's just like mooning over this photograph. I don't think this happens in the book as described. But. This is definitely not a scene in the book. She yeah. also has this like glint in her eye that's a little like judgmental or angry like it's not so much pining as it is like almost suspicious oh my gosh you're so right she looks pissed like her face is angry yeah i didn't really notice that because i was the pose and the staring at the photo so seemed to embody a kind of longing that i didn't look carefully at her face and what artist uh james matthews has done here i think has planted a little bit of uh like disgust in regina's expression a little bit a little bit she looks like she's trying to plot her revenge like there's something like she is thinking about how she is going to just really stick it to this guy there's something in there yeah it just her downturned lips and it's like this fucking guy 
Yeah, and then we've got, you know, your classic, I think it's a perfume bottle. Is that what we're seeing? Oh, yeah. And then yeah. a lamp that I swear my sister owned. Uh, so yeah pretty pretty accurate i wasn't sure who the guy was because i have never seen the cover of the i mean i there's a version of the cover in my brain of what a sweet valley high cover looks like but i've never i couldn't tell you what one was so i didn't know that that was bruce so i just had to i had to discover that along the way i thought maybe it was buzz at one point Uh, (laughs) oh buzz oh god I guess we can start right at the beginning of the book. I, I already alluded to the whole amy of it all um one thing that i'm super curious is to see how the like history of this world came across to you all in this book because damn there is a lot of like asides there's so many characters there's so many there's so much crazy stuff so did you guys get across Regina's backstory at all because it is also one of the wilder ones of anybody in Sweet Valley oh yeah her backstory is wild and and just the the way that they insert the bits of her story just, just, you know, so casually throughout the book, uh, just stopped me in my tracks at moments where I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Right. Right at the bat, I was already ready to judge the book for talking about how Regina had overcome so much by having her deafness cured in Switzerland, and that they were just going to totally skip over the fact that when she got back from Switzerland, she was held hostage, and yeah. her family was held hostage, and they were all at gunpoint. And But then the book gets, it does bring that up later. I think that's one of my favorite parts about reading this, <laughs> is not knowing anything about these characters and their history. She was like, man, that really sucked. Kind of like the time I was held hostage at gunpoint. But, you know, on to this other thing, you know. <laughs> and so, like, there's these really quick asides where um, they'll allude to this, like, major life event as if, like, you know, whatever. You know, these things happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just pull a couple of key words. <laughs> Please do. Because there were just, just... Yeah, she calls it including the dreadful episode when she had been forced onto a plane at gunpoint and brought back to Sweet Valley to be held hostage in her parents' home. The dreadful episode. <laughs> what, is, what is she? What is she comparing it to? Do you I, remember? Oh man. Um. So she's talking about how Bruce really loved her. He had been faithful to her the whole time she was in Switzerland and stood by her through some tough times, including this dreadful episode. Yeah, of some being tough times. Held at gunpoint. We've all had some tough times. Yeah, yeah. You know when you <laughs> just really yeah. yeah, and you get held hostage and. Ugh. Yeah. Well, and and uh, many uh, gladiators, we call our listeners gladiators, gladiators will recall this book very well, because I'm sure a great many of you came to the show after listening to the episode where this happened. Um, the book is called Hostage! Exclamation point, and a Jack Shepard and Tanner Greenring from the Babysitter's Club Club podcast were my guests for that one. So... Um, yeah, remember that? Well, that is mentioned in this book. And I like all of the popular highlights. I read the Kindle version of the book. All of the popular highlights seem to be related <laughs> to that storyline. Like whoever was reading it was just like, wait, what happened? And they just had to highlight it. Yeah, this one should have been called cocaine exclamation point. <laughs> cocaine, man. Um, but But the whole story starts with a rumor that Amy Sutton is telling. Amy Sutton and Bruce Patman are working on this health project that's about drug use in Sweet Valley. But Amy feels like Bruce is falling for her and she is encouraging that 
by telling him that they can only meet with her cousin Mimi, who's like a drug expert, even though apparently she's like 19 years old. Yeah, um, in college. And in college, yeah. Uh, it's. I guess everybody knows the the high, the college students in Sweet Valley are are very like plugged in to the scene of what's happening in town. That's actually been true throughout. Yeah, I imagined her as one of those like sort of hard boiled undercover journalists, you know, from like the nineteen seventies, chewing on a toothpick, infiltrating, you know, mm-hmm. the underbelly, the seedy underbelly of Sweet Valley. <laughs> sure. Um, But early on, all we know about her is that um, Amy has purposefully been kind of scheduling these meetings like, oh, this is the only time Mimi can meet. She's making this up so that she and Bruce will be spending Friday evenings together. Bruce has been canceling dates with Regina so that he can work on this project. At the start of the book, Amy sweeps into cheerleading practice and is like, I was right all along. Bruce is falling for me. He's definitely going to dump Regina. And even Jessica Wakefield um, is skeptical of this, but she turns really quickly, right, from being skeptical to being super psyched about the prospect of, like, romantic intrigue. Well, so I, I have a question here, because in not having read any of the books before, I, I kind of got a sense right off the bat that Amy was awful. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought of Amy. She sucks. You're you're the worst, aren't you? She is the literal worst. Yeah. And but my question and and perhaps you can uh, enlighten me here is so are Jessica and Amy friends because I didn't quite understand their relationship here. Like there's a part where when Amy's telling Jessica about how oh my gosh, Bruce is totally falling for me. It's totally happening. And Jessica there's there's a part where It says Jessica narrowed her eyes at the blonde, trying to imagine what Bruce Patman might see in her. And thinking, wow, do you like her? Like, because, I mean, if it it was a friend of mine, I'd be like, oh my gosh, well, of course, you're amazing. Of course, but I'm like, (laughs) she's looking at her like, why would a guy like you? (laughs) That's so true. I would say that uh, Jessica and Amy are friends like. Regina George and Gretchen Wieners are friends. It's like they're they're part of a popular girl friend thing but it's very um like Machiavellian it's very like power structure because eventually Jessica you know so Jessica takes this rumor home to Elizabeth who is scandalized at the idea that Amy thinks she's going to steal Bruce away from Regina but also a little bit worried like Amy's a liar but if this rumor is getting out maybe I should tell Regina and Jessica is like no no you can't tell Regina uh, because I'm just realizing now that Regina George, that was a confusing example, because we're talking about, like, the only other fictional character in history <laughs> named Regina. But anyway, putting Mean Girls aside, so Regina Morrow, our character, Elizabeth, she, she and Elizabeth are good friends, and Elizabeth is like, I have to tell her that there's this rumor, because it would be horrible if she finds out otherwise. And Jessica is the one that's like, no, 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 you can't do that. And the only reason is because she's afraid of like retribution from Amy. Like Amy's going to ruin her life if she finds out that Jessica like blabbed to Elizabeth. And that's what made Regina find out. And then Bruce and Regina don't break up or whatever, it like blows everything up. Yeah, there's a lot of mental and emotional energy spent uh, over whether or not you know, rumors should be, you know, if if somebody should tell somebody something else. I feel like a lot of the book, which, to be honest, really did take me 
directly back to high school. Yeah. You know, in this like in this like whoa, I I remember the the just the pettiness of well, if I say this to this person, they're going to know that I said it. And if I, they know that I said it, they're going to be upset about, you know, like that just sort of like uh, bullshit that happens. And you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, this 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 kind of captures that spirit, the spirit of those kind of petty um, squabbles pretty, pretty uh, accurately. Yeah, I think that um, I was thinking the same thing when you were describing all of the mental energy, like, oh, that really does sound like how high school works. Um, so. Elizabeth talks to Jeffrey, her boyfriend, about it and basically decides she's not going to upset Regina. It's probably just a rumor. That's important. That Elizabeth thinks the same thing that I had misremembered about this book, which is that Amy is just kind of making it up. But then the covering was removed from my eyes in this big scene, which I'm going to, if you'll indulge me, I'm going to read a very long scene from this book where uh, Amy and Bruce have a flirtation. Um, If only just because it'll be kind of fun and also scandalous in a soap opera way. This is in chapter two. May I? May I read for you? Please. Please. All right, gladiators, I'm doing this for you too, not just for Greg and Anjali. So Amy and Bruce are at uh, Bruce's house. They're out by the pool or something working, and she is flirting with him really hard. And she feels like she's, he's been resisting, kind of, but... She's, like, making her big, her big play. I had this amazing dream last night. She fixed her eyes intently on his. I dreamed that you and I were out in the middle of nowhere together, just the two of us, and we were talking about our report, and all of a sudden, she tried her hardest to look embarrassed. That summer spent studying acting back east was sure paying off now, she thought. Bruce looked positively mesmerized. Oh, never mind, she said, pretending to be annoyed with herself. Why am I bugging you with my dumb personal stuff like my dreams when we have all this work to do? No, go on, Bruce pleaded, fascinated. What happened in the dream? Amy stared at his lips. It's kind of embarrassing, she whispered, so caught up in her act that she almost forgot she was making the whole thing up as she went along. Tell me, Bruce said, entranced. I promise I won't hold it against you. It's only a dream, right? Yeah, Amy said huskily, her knee against his. But remember what we learned in our psychology unit. Don't some people think dreams represent wishes or something? Bruce stared at her. Tell me what you dreamed, he repeated. Amy took a deep breath. She had him exactly where she wanted him now, she thought triumphantly. Well, she said softly, leaning closer to him. We were, you know, in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden, she gazed meaningfully up into his eyes. All of a sudden, you were kissing me. She dropped her eyes demurely. See why I'm embarrassed, she asked. Amy, Bruce said huskily, leaning forward and covering her hand with his. In the old days, Bruce Patman would never have let an opportunity like this pass him by, and it was clear he was fighting now with his conscience. Amy fixed her eyes quizzically on Bruce's. His lips were just inches from hers. If he just turned his head the slightest little bit. What if I told you that I really do want you to kiss me, she whispered, still staring at him. Bruce groaned. Lord, Amy, you're completely irresistible. Then he bent forward and brushed her lips quickly with his. Amy slid her hand up behind his neck and pulled him closer as he started to straighten up again. A real kiss, she pouted. Like this. From the minute his lips touched hers, Amy knew she had won the battle. There was no way Bruce was going to stay with Regina now. Not when he knew what it was like to be with someone who really wanted him the way she did. 
Amy, Bruce repeated, pulling back and staring at her with the old Bruce Patman, all I care about is what I want, look in his eyes. I can't believe the way you kiss, he said, shaking his head and pulling her closer to him. Who taught you how to kiss that way? Amy didn't answer immediately. She knew that what she said and did right then was incredibly important, and she wanted to make sure she didn't make a mistake. We shouldn't see each other again, she whispered at last, avoiding his gaze. I'm really sorry, Bruce. I had no business telling you about that dream. If Regina knew... Bruce frowned. What do you mean, not see each other again? Are you kidding, Amy? I'm crazy about you. Amy fiddled with the edge of her notebook. But what about Regina? She asked coyly. I don't want to get between you two, Bruce. I couldn't stand that. Unless... She let her voice trail off. Unless what? Bruce prompted her. Unless you feel that things are almost over between you two, Amy said. That would be different. Then I wouldn't feel so guilty about... You know, the way I feel about you. Bruce tapped his fingers on the table. I don't know how I feel, he said, frowning. Until a couple of weeks ago, I thought everything with Regina was perfect. But the more time I spend with you, the more time I spend thinking about you. He gave her a cocky smile. I'd kind of forgotten how much fun it is to spread the wealth, to share the old Bruce magic with more than one girl. So... That's yes. Bruce. Thank you. Yes. Uh, extremely long scene, but I just wanted to get across the dynamic here. Bruce and Amy are the worst, and they are bad. And so, <laughs> can, can, I, can I also just point out so th- this? This is a very small thing that just kind of kept popping up to me, especially in this scene and throughout the book. Um, is it the husky voices? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Why? Why do why do so many people say things huskily? Huskily, yeah. yeah. I think they both said something huskily. Yes, yes, okay. yeah. yeah. Amy said something huskily. Bruce said something huskily. I'm pretty sure that Jessica said something huskily at some point. It's too. like a husk off. I imagine them just getting closer and closer to the Batman voice. You know, by the end of it, they're just like, "I love you." They go from Batman to like full Bane. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> First of all, I mean, I guess I, I'm sure. I guess a husky voice is sexy for some people. But is that, like, that's used consistently. Like, is that super sexy? I don't, I don't, I don't know if I've done a, a husky. Do I get husky? You can get husky. Really? I think we all have the ability to get husky. <laughs> um, but it's got to be you, it's got to be deployed, right? It can't just be you're always husky all the time. You got to deploy it, right. It's a secret weapon. I think, you know what I found really interesting <laughs> about that scene is that it reminded me, as reading it and then hearing it back, so much of the same exact stuff that gets pulled on shows like The Bachelor. Yeah. Where it's like, can I borrow you for a second? I just, I wanted to tell you, I had this crazy <laughs> dream. What was it about? Oh, no, I, I can't say. No, no, no. Oh my God, that is Amy Sutton. She is a bachelor uh, competitor, yeah, yeah, yeah. contestant, a bachelor contestant. She would totally be on The Bachelor. Oh, that's oh my gosh! In the Sweet Valley High world, in that universe, she's a hundred percent a bachelor contestant. She falls in love really fast too, and then is like out of love. So I don't know. That scene just uh, boiled my blood. So I highlighted the whole thing. I was like, the, the listeners must know. But um, there's something else that's that's set up early on in the book, which is that Regina, who is like eating lunch alone, because Bruce also forgets to eat lunch with her, meets this kid named Justin Belson. I don't even remember Justin Belson. If that gives you an <laughs> idea of why. Well, he. Uh... Which one is he? What does what does he do? What's... He's the guy who 
is like hanging out with her and their friend. Like he's like a people think he's a bad kid, but really his just oh, his dad oh, dies. Oh, he's like he's the main of, yeah, guy. He's kind okay, of, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. sad and troubled, but also kind of bad news. And and I I just remember kind of first thinking like. I, I feel like there was one scene, yeah, I think there was something in the book where it was, like, just, just something that kind of shows him off, and, and I pictured this about him when I started reading, where, like, he has a leather jacket, and there's some something that they talk about in the book where they're like, oh, yeah, like, it was obvious that he was bad news that because he wore a leather jacket, and like, oh, yeah. man. That stood out to me, too. It was, what it said, I believe, was that Regina's mother would not approve of the fact that he was wearing a leather jacket. Yes. Which yeah. seemed weird to me. Like, I bet Sky Morrow has tons of leather jackets. Speaking of which, this book says that Regina's mom, Sky, is 38 years old. Which yes. means that she got pregnant with her older brother at 19, which is all well and good, but doesn't sound super much like what would have happened, but whatever. Sounds like an Amy. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, uh, the Justin character. I, th- I feel like I'd be friends with him in in high school. Like yeah. he doesn't. He seems like there's like a disaffectedness to him. There's an, there's an an anger and a disappointment. Like obviously he's had some like trouble at home and stuff. Well, I mean, but he doesn't seem like a bad guy. I mean, he has he he's had a troubled past. Like his dad was straight up murdered. Yeah. Yeah, his dad was stabbed by teens yeah. in a scene that Justin describes as like being straight out of like a B-cop horror movie. Justin is a very meta character. Like, he talks a lot about how his life seems like something from a bad cop show. And then Regina even says at one point that he seems like someone more like a character in a book than like a real person. Yeah. Um, well, to introduce Justin, because there aren't a lot of boys in this book, we can um, briefly move over to the part of the podcast where we talk about boys, because I want to describe Justin for everybody. Justin Belson is a tall, slender boy with auburn hair and chiseled, attractive features. He seemed to spend most of his time either alone or with a crowd she barely knew. Um, so he comes over to Regina. She's sitting at the lunch table and asks if he can sit down. It says, Regina nodded. Are you a junior? I don't think we've ever met before, have we? I'm Regina Morrow. Justin Belson, he said, putting his hand out to shake. Yeah, I'm a junior, but I should be a senior. I took a year off when... His voice trailed off. I had some family problems, so I took a little time off. He smiled at her, a crooked, disarming smile that made Regina feel a strange twinge of sympathy. I've always known who you are, though. You're the one who had your picture on the cover of Anjani magazine. He grinned. I've got three copies at home. I'm one of your biggest fans. Yeah, that's so weird. Why? It's really creepy. He's like, so, but Justin's charming. And I guess we can go ahead and say now that throughout this book, Regina and Justin have a friendship that seems like maybe he's trying to date her, but it becomes clear to Regina that Justin is still in love with his ex-girlfriend, Molly. Yeah, I was right? sort of, I was yeah. sort of like admiring his, his gumption there for a minute. He just, he just, pon- everybody knows in high school, it's hard to just pony up to some rando uh, in the, in the lunchroom, plop down yeah. your tray and just start talking, being like, Hey, how's it going? You know, uh, until, uh, yeah, I was with him until the, the magazine part, you know, it was like, if he's like, oh yeah, I have a copy of that, whatever. He was like, no, I've got three copies. <laughs> I was like, okay. yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> it's a 
little like obsessive, but I mean, it works. So good for him. Like Regina is interested in talking to him yeah. and she sees something in him that most people don't see because most people don't know him. All they know is that he has this kind of bad boy reputation. We already know it's been established in Sweet Valley High that like being held back in school or taking a year off or dropping out, coming back for whatever reason is like something only losers do. So he's got this reputation and that's going to be important too. Now we get to this party, which was just gut-wrenching for me. I don't know how you felt having to... I, I also just, just reread the book. We're talking about the, the barbecue. Is it, is it the, the barbecue, barbecue or the other... Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the barbecue was um, was a hard one. As yeah. well as the other party, but yeah. Can I, uh, can I point out something, though, that... Uh, I don't know if this stuck out to either one of you at the barbecue, but... When when everybody shows up and they they're introducing a few other people there, uh, they they mention one person. They really only mention him once, but this cracked me up. Uh, uh, um, a guy named Winston Egbert. Uh, Winston Egbert, who who suggests a game of frisbee baseball, which sounds really fun, by the way, <laughs> to just get everybody up and playing. Um, they say Winston Egbert, whose silly pranks had won him the reputation of being the clown of the junior class, uh, wanted a game of frisbee baseball. Now, I feel like his silly pranks isn't what won him a reputation. It was the fact that his name is Winston Egbert. <laughs> it is a very amazingly named character. And so what we're describing is this scene, this barbecue that the Wakefields have, and I, I feel like Jessica has concocted this barbecue expressly. Like, it's like a drama barbecue. Like, she wanted to have Amy, Bruce, and Regina all in the same place so that everybody can, like, ogle them and, like, fire sparks can fly. Can I ask a question? Is everybody in this book insanely wealthy? Is that, like, the idea? Um. Well, you might think so, and you wouldn't be the first one to think so. I, I think that... It's like all of society is just kind of like bumped up a few notches from reality. Because th- this house that they're at, the is it's at the Wakefield's house. And they're just like supposed to be kind of like middle of the road, like normal. Well, it's like sitcom fam- houses, you know? It's like the family in the sitcom doesn't seem like they're crazy rich, but their house, if you really take a look at it, is way nicer than like... Your average, yeah. I mean, they're like uh, they have the, these amazing lawns and a pool, and you know something about the how the way the houses are described. It just seems like everybody is well. But you, this book is a little bit biased, I guess, because Regina and Bruce are are those families, the Patmans and the Morrows, are two of the three richest families in the in the world. I mean, in the world of Sweet Valley, not in the world the globe. <laughs> right, right, right. There's like they have like housekeepers and stuff, and like they talk about that. And okay, yeah. But uh, the, what you're um, referencing, Anjali, was I thought a really interesting bit of uh, writing because Regina comes to this party. She sits down. Um, she looks around and it's like the book names out everybody that's there and like describes them in a sentence, you know, the Winston Egbert is the class clown and Maria Santelli, she doesn't know very well, but he's her girlfriend and, you know, Caroline Pierce is there. She's a gossip. Carol Walker's there. She used to be more of a gossip, but then she settled down and started dating Stephen Wakefield. It's like, goes through in like one paragraph. It's like, here's, here's a bunch of teenagers that I'll tell you about real quick. And they're all at the party. 
So I I was putting myself in your <laughs> your eyeballs reading that. I was like, oh, this is a lot of names, but also, hey, pretty succinct recap of who these people are. Well, also at this barbecue, uh, I, and, and, and I think not until later in the book, but where are... Where are Elizabeth and Jessica's parents at this barbecue? Like they're they're in high school. Yeah. Like why? They're bad parents. Why are their parents <laughs> not at least checking in? Or why is the dad not manning the grill? Why is it that we, one of them goes to Bruce and is like, "Hey, we heard you're really good on the grill. Why don't you?" I'm like, yeah. isn't that? Why are there no parents here? Uh, yeah, the Wakefield parents don't really make much of an appearance in this book at all. And when I say that they're bad parents, that's kind of more of the uh, opinion of this podcast, the Sweet Valley Diaries podcast, is trying to put it out in the world. Ned and Alice Wickfield are not model parents, but I don't think the, the book wants you to think they're the best parents ever. I said earlier that the barbecue seemed to be expressly for the purpose of this like love triangle explosion, and I don't think that everybody knows that. Like Only Jessica knows that, but she's telling Elizabeth about it, and Elizabeth says to her, explain to me why you're looking forward to it, she pleaded. I just don't see what's going to be fun about watching Regina's heartbreak. Jessica sighed patiently. What fun would it be if nothing exciting happened? Face it, Liz, happy couples are boring. Didn't some famous novel start off about that? That was happy families, not happy couples, Elizabeth corrected her. And Tolstoy didn't say they were boring, just that they were alike. (laughs) Which I, I wanted to get the first part in there to mention Jessica's mindset, but then I was just tickled that that Elizabeth and Jessica are, like, remembering Tolstoy to each other. I feel like that was the author who was like, I I actually do read and write. I, I know about Tolstoy. Please, I have to put this in here. Um, but no, as characters, I did, I did find it funny that they dropped that. Yeah. So Bruce comes to pick up Regina at her house, and she's already a little bit, like, frustrated with him. He hasn't really called her to say when he's coming. He's just been very distant, and she's worried in a sort of nondescript way. And Anjali, you mentioned already that when they get to the party, Jessica immediately asks Bruce to man the grill, which like separates Regina and Bruce, which seems sort of calculated to me. And Regina is just feeling awkward. Um, And the book also describes that she has been feeling kind of shy and awkward ever since she got back from Switzerland. You know, she can hear for the first time, which must be super weird, although the book doesn't spend much time talking about it. Yeah, that's that's like a, a, a medical phenomenon. I mean, what, what, what medical procedure did they do in Switzerland that could not be done in America? Oh, you better believe they keep it real vague in the book. <laughs> that got her hearing back from, like, a condition that she was born with. Yeah. One of a couple conditions we learned that she was born with, in fact, by the end of the book. Yeah, I don't know. It's amazing. I mean, I guess time in theory has passed as much as time does pass in these books, uh, where they're always high school juniors. But we haven't seen Regina in a long time. Like we haven't heard almost anything from Regina in in quite some time, book wise, like 10 books or something, like barely. So she is might be partially adjusted by now, but we haven't really gotten to see it. I would like to read again. This is the moment when Um, Regina is sitting at this table at the party and Amy comes in and she puts the pieces together. And I really like felt this in my, in my core, this, this like the pain of this particular moment. Okay. Hey guys, a familiar voice called. Everyone looked up. 
It was Amy Sutton, hurrying across the lawn, looking like a model in a white sundress and cotton espadrilles. Regina felt her pulse quicken. She didn't know Amy had been invited. It made sense, of course. Amy was a good friend of Jessica's. There was no reason to feel strange about it, she chided herself. It wasn't as if... But her thoughts were interrupted as she and the others watched Amy turn to look at Bruce, who was standing absolutely frozen by the barbecue. Their gazes locked and Amy smiled, a tiny, knowing smile that made Regina's stomach feel suddenly queasy. It lasted only an instant. Amy standing in a pool of late afternoon sunlight, eyes wide, staring at Bruce and Bruce staring back at her. Then the connection was broken. Amy came over to join them all at the table and Bruce, eyes downcast, fiddled with the grill. But Regina felt as though something devastating had happened. Bruce and Amy, she thought miserably. That was what had been bothering her all day. All week, in fact. That explained the peculiar premonitions she had been having. She was worried about Bruce and Amy. Poor girl. It's That's bad enough, right? I'm, I don't know how you guys were feeling reading that scene, but I was just like, oh, this already really sucks. Like, they couldn't, like, you know, keep their eyes in their eye pants or whatever long enough to, like, not telegraph to the whole room that they're having a fling. Right. Keep it in your eye pants, Amy. <laughs> but then it gets it gets much worse, right? Before it gets better. And um that's when like nobody knows where Bruce and Amy are. And then Elizabeth and her boyfriend Jeffrey like spot Bruce behind a tree. I was the geography was a little fuzzy here. There's a whole house. Like they couldn't just go into a why why did they have to hang out behind a tree to, where they could be very yeah. easily be spotted and also yeah. you know keep it in your pants guys <laughs> yeah now now it's like your pants pants not your eye pants this is now body pants well i feel like the book makes a, a big deal about explaining that bruce used to be this player and oh, he yeah. like him being with a, a long-term girlfriend is so outside of his character and so yeah. uh I feel like it's just like old Bruce ways, you know, he's, he's, he's returning right. to who he used to be before Regina. You're exactly right. So the book did its job, I guess, of getting that across. But, you know, Bruce and Regina had been so in love that everybody really thought Bruce was reformed. And I, I mean, not to be cynical and to like take us out of the world of the book for a second, but I am going to do both of those things and say, I think that a lot of why this book happens is so that they can have old the old Bruce back because they want to bring back Playboy Bruce because he was a fun character to have in their soap opera world for Sweet Valley. And they thought, well, how can we get Playboy Bruce back and teach kids a lesson about not using cocaine? And they did it all in this one devastating book. But we'll get to that. I'll add that this book also maybe sent a message about not spreading rumors or something about rumors. I feel like something about rumors. Don't have barbecues. (laughs) Barbecues lead to breakup. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of lessons. Yeah. Like, oh, loose lips sink ships in this book, man. Yeah. But also, in this case, what we're having is a fallout of Elizabeth not having told Regina what happened. But also, I guess, because everybody else seems to already know about Amy and Bruce, and Regina's the only one who doesn't know. So what happens is, Elizabeth and Jeffrey are like, oh, shit, Regina will be so hurt if she sees Bruce and Amy together, because that's wildly rude (laughs) for them to be you know, cavorting in front of her. And so Jeffrey goes out to like break it up and tell them like, go get like get a room or something and not here. And Elizabeth goes to talk to Regina and then 
Regina, while Elizabeth is talking to her, sees anyway. You know, she sees, and she also puts it together because Jeffrey's the one who's breaking it up, that Elizabeth only came over to distract her, and she puts all the pieces together right away. Yeah, she puts a lot together in a very short amount of time. She's a sharp cookie. Yeah. She's a a smart girl. Um, So... Ooh, I'm gonna steal myself for another big reading because this one, this is this one has to go in because all the most dramatic parts got to go in. Okay, are you ready? Okay, so Regina's really mad, so I got to work myself up to really mad. Okay, let's get away from the mic a little bit. I thought you were my friend. She repeated, her voice so cold and angry that she sounded like a stranger. You all knew, she added furiously. You knew, and you let me come here and make a fool of myself. Elizabeth's eyes filled with tears. Regina, please let me try to explain. But it was too late. Regina stormed across the lawn, her black hair flying. Don't give me that look, she snapped at Bruce. I want your car keys. I'm taking the Porsche and I'm going to drive to my house. Come pick it up whenever you want. The keys will be in the mailbox. Her face was still ashen and she was trembling with rage. I never want to speak to you again as long as I live. The whole backyard was so quiet, Elizabeth could hear the ragged sound of Regina's breathing. No one dared move. I hate you, Regina cried brokenly, turning to Amy. I hate all of you, she shrieked. You make me feel as if I'm worthless, worse than worthless. Bruce took a deep breath. Regina, give me the car keys, she cried, her expression so angry Bruce didn't dare say no. Elizabeth hurried across the lawn and put her arms around the trembling girl. You're too upset to drive. Let Jeffrey or me take you back, she begged. Regina spun around to face Elizabeth, her eyes like ice. Thanks. I really appreciate your consideration, Elizabeth, she spat out sarcastically. From the way you've acted tonight, it's obvious how much you really care about my feelings. Elizabeth felt as if she'd been punched, but there was nothing she could do. She just had to stand there with the others, watching as Regina grabbed Bruce's car keys from his hand, raced across the lawn, and disappeared. The next sound Elizabeth heard was a car door slamming shut and the squeal of tires as Regina sped away. Hmm. So Jessica got her fireworks. Yep. I uh, I had I had two thoughts as you were reading that, which by the way, that was great. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome emotion put into all of it. I'm feeling it. One was that yeah, that scene definitely reminded me of of like high school and just those those misunderstandings and and either not doing the right thing, not telling your friends something, and then just, like, how how quickly we turn to, like, anger and sarcasm and then just, you know, speeding away. Like, no. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate your concern for me and leaving. Like, I, I feel like that was a very, uh, especially among girls, you know, if, if, you didn't, if you didn't do right by your girls, that was something that would happen. Just sort of- oh, yeah. Yeah. And that comes back to bite her later, right? Because Regina then sort of, she cuts herself off. She feels betrayed by everybody. And so when people start seeing her hang out with Justin Belson, who she's starting to think is actually kind of a nice guy, she is just like, well, why do you suddenly care about me? Like, maybe these friends are better than you guys, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I think that scene uh, illustrates a few things that I find interesting about this book. And one is that the books, the book seems to be very occupied with people's hair and <laughs> and eye color. Yeah, it's always oh like, yes, 
Whenever a new character is described, or even a character we know is described, it's always, there seems to be this, like, the color of their eyes and a description of their hair. And in this scene, which was so dramatic, they're like, and her black hair was flying in the wind as she walked away, and I feel like um, that's that's a big part of these books. And then also, like, if if you get caught cheating on somebody, you're not going to give that person your car keys. I felt like that was a little glossed over, that she was just like, I'm taking your Porsche, and like grabs the keys out of his hand. I'd be like, no, 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 you need to simmer down before you start speeding around in my like extremely expensive car. Well, I mean, maybe maybe that's like a, well, that actually brings me to to a second thought, but also maybe that's like a guilt sort of like, oh, yeah, I really did screw up. Yeah, here, take the car. Yeah, just like. Here, take, I mean, I, we should definitely be, uh, as a society, like, I would totally take a guilt Porsche, you know? I'd be like, you, you <laughs> give me your car keys now. Um, so maybe he was just like, oh, man, I really screwed up. I feel super bad. And he was also her ride, so I don't think that she wants to be in the car with him, but yeah, this just is get pre- out of there. This is like pre-Uber, pre-cell yeah. phones. You have to mm-hmm. remember which is, all that. Which is wild, because they're, yeah, they're definitely times in here where I'm like, ah, oh, just just call the cell phone. Just use your cell phone. I'm like, oh, man, right. no, this is pre. But yeah, absolutely. A- another just completely um, related to the car and just random thought that I had here was I want to start checking rich people's mailboxes for car <laughs> Because yeah. that doesn't seem like a safe place to put his Porsche keys. Just, like, come pick it up, whatever. Uh, your yeah. keys are going to be in the mailbox. That's how you- also, that's now she's told the whole bad. junior class, basically, <laughs> that right. that's where Bruce's car keys exactly. are. That's yeah. how you get bling rings. <laughs> that's how you get bling rings. <laughs> I'm surprised that uh, Jessica didn't conspire to steal Bruce's Porsche because she's got no love lost with Bruce, like, you know. But I thought it was pretty baller, Regina, to, to demand his car. I was see where you're what you're getting at, Greg, but I um I was too caught up in how excited I was that she was like making demands and being like telling him what a jerk he was to uh, to think it was unrealistic. Yeah. Is this really just so fucked up? Like, it's like the idea that he would go make out with another girl while his girlfriend is at the party. Um, even if they were not, like, deeply in love like they're supposed to be. Yeah, I feel like I, at the end of this, we might have to ask ourselves the question, who actually killed Regina? Mm-hmm. Is it Bruce's fault? Is it Buzz's fault? Is it Jace? I mean, we have so... Or Justin's fault. We have so many, you know people here that are that are contributing to this very true well speaking of your comment though going back to the hair and eye thing that's also the way that um molly hecht is described right they talk about her like short blonde flyaway hair and you know molly hecht is this girl who is supposed to be kind of bad news and she and justin belson used to date and justin has told regina um i guess that we can add that on the saturday after this party Regina is like home alone and all bummed out. And so she calls Justin, who's been calling the house to kind of try to make plans with Regina. And Nicholas, Regina's brother, and Regina's parents are already starting the like, hey, don't hang out with that guy. We hear that he's bad news kind of kind of bandwagon. We hear the, one of the first things we hear about Molly Hecht is that Molly Hecht is trouble. My cousin Mimi saw her at a party in LA last weekend that was busted by the police. Two college guys got arrested for having cocaine. That's Amy saying that. And Jessica says, You think Molly and Justin are on drugs? Amy shrugged. I honestly don't know. And to tell you the truth, Jess, I just don't care. (laughs) 
Spoken like an Amy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, Molly Hecht is described as like a little blonde and... I don't know how much we have to go through the low blow, blow of Regina and Justin like becoming deeper friends, of Elizabeth trying to warn off Regina and it kind of failing. But I actually being, really yeah, I mean in that in that montage of, you know, if we're going to montage through it, I did enjoy the scene where he takes her to the bar and is in like is kind of like you know dip, dipping regina's toe into the pool of being a bad kid you know a little bit it was interesting mm-hmm. i like the dynamic of that scene where she kind of was like "Ooh, should i be here or should i not be here but she kind of liked it and um i, I thought that was yeah. an interesting part of it yeah and i think the book really goes to great lengths to make it clear that regina is not very deeply dabbling in the idea of becoming a bad kid. She is fascinated by how different his world is from hers. And she thinks that there's something more to him than other people see. And she's really um, annoyed that her brother, her parents, Bruce, now Elizabeth, that everybody is keeps on telling her watch out, like, don't hang out with those kids. Like, they're, they're bad news. Because she's like, I can handle myself. Like, just because... I'm with people that are interested in doing bad things doesn't mean I'm going to do bad things. She's like, come on, cut me some slack. Right, right. It, it also seemed to me that as she and Justin are getting closer, kind of seems like she wants to uh, save him or something. Like, you know, I think she said somewhere in there, it's like she wants to make a difference in his life and, you know, make some sort of an impact. And she wasn't able to do that with Bruce, but it just all flashed to me. Like she sees, she sees Justin as somebody that she can swoop in and save and put her, her attention there instead of her being in more of her woe is me headspace. Yeah. Well, here's a passage about that actually, that I thought was interesting because it also dabbles in the concept of privilege in a way that, even though in 1987 we didn't really have that language, popularly. Bruce came from a family every bit as wealthy as the Morrows. She and Bruce had big allowances, access to their parents' credit cards, their own expensive cars to drive. They might have had different value systems. Bruce felt much more entitled to luxuries than Regina did, for example. But they really were alike. Whereas Justin... Well, Justin definitely appealed to Regina, and she guessed that might have something to do with the fact that he seemed rebellious. He didn't care about conventions. He was on academic probation because school bored him so much that he just skipped. Regina couldn't help admiring that. She, who had studied hard every night of her life, always got good grades and would never in a million years miss a class without permission. She thought Justin was amazingly daring. When she compared him to Bruce, he seemed even more daring. What risks had Bruce ever taken? What hardships had he overcome? Bruce had had life handed to him on a silver platter, but Justin had suffered. Regina thought he was the most romantic guy she had ever met. More like a character in a book than a real person. Mm-hmm. So, but that's not to say she's not, ex- she doesn't know what her feelings are for him. And she realizes that he's in love with Molly Hecht still. So, and she tells him like, you know, you shouldn't just end it with somebody because you think that they're in trouble. I don't know. It's, it's weird. It seems like both of their feelings for each other are sort of, confused and and muddled here because I think at some point he says to her that he has a bit of a crush on Regina but he definitely still admits that there's something 
something still like Molly still is a part of his life and lingers and I think she says to him like you need to you need to you know give Molly a fair shot or something before if, if there's any chance of anything happening with us yeah. One thing the book makes very clear is that Molly Hecht is, she's not a bad person. She's not a bad girl. It's that horrible Jan Brown, which is a brand new character, Jan Brown is. I mean, everything, every encounter, every description of Jan Brown just makes her seem like, just like the the pure evil character yeah. of any, you know, high school drama, anything. Yeah. Like they are... She- all bad. Yeah, they say that she's, like, insane. And she's new. She's a new character. She's just a bad girl. Um, and Jan Brown is really excited because Molly's parents are going out of town. And they have this big party every year. And, worse yet, this guy named Buzz is going to be there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Regina and Justin get invited to the party because when Molly comes over to tell Justin about it, uh, Regina's sitting there. Okay. So, but there's, so there's this guy named Buzz and he, it seems like he's really bad news. And the fact that like his mere presence, like the suggestion of his presence at this party that Molly's having is like a dark omen. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's like the worst thing in the world that Buzz might show up to this party from what it sounds like, according to Justin. And then I think even later um, when Bruce and Amy are talking to her cousin. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, this guy Buzz is bad news and he might show up to this party that we heard about. And it's just like, oh, my goodness, this guy is going to unleash some sort of terror. They do a really good job of seeding Buzz throughout the book as this, you know. He's really scary, yeah. Yeah. They even describe him as mean looking. Yeah, let me see. I have a description of Buzz here, actually. Um, so Mimi, this is Mimi talking to Bruce and Amy because they've finally been able to nail her down for this like interview that they're doing for their, their school project, which is real. Um, so his name is Buzz Jackson. And Amy says, wait, wait, who is Buzz Jackson? Buzz, Mimi said, happens to be the biggest cocaine dealer at my college right now. He's bad news, she added. And there just isn't that much more to say about him. But she does go on. She says, Yeah, she says, He's my age, maybe a year older, a skinny, sort of mean looking guy who's been dealing drugs since junior high. Mimi laughed bitterly. <laughs> let's just say that now it's a full time occupation. I guess the bitter laugh is more like, Let's just say that now time it's a full time obligation. I'm not doing it right. Let's just say that now it's a full-time occupation. Um, Buzz latches on to people like Jan and Molly, basically okay kids who have the cash or can get the cash somehow to become steady customers. So this is also planting the seeds of, like, kids, this is what drug dealers do. Watch out for Buzz Jacksons in your life. Yeah, I would love a Buzz Jackson Jackson spinoff. Um, <laughs> I mean, since junior high, right? So since before high school, he's been dealing cocaine. Well, how old are you in junior high? What age is that? 12. So from 12 years old, <laughs> this guy, first off, has a cocaine supply, which is incredible. It's the 80s, Greg. It's a, yeah, okay, well, that makes sense. Um, and he has not been caught or put away. Like, he is out there 
throughout the entirety of high school. And he's the biggest cocaine. He is the Scarface of this girl's <laughs> college, right? Like he, she says, he is the biggest cocaine dealer in at my college, right? Not yeah. much to say about him, but I, I want. I would love to to know more about Buzz and his Buzz Jackson. It's a great name. I, I'd even. I. It sounds like a like a musician I would listen to well, too. Speaking of his name, actually, I I highlighted this because uh, because Bruce asks, like, is his name really Buzz? Because yeah, um, Mimi answers and says, um, I think he's got some first name that he hates, like William. Buzz is a nickname. You can probably guess where he got it. No. <laughs> I think that means like when you take drugs, you get a buzz. You get a buzz? Yeah, that, I uh, that's, that's what I think alcohol is giving you a buzz. You or like coffee? High. Or coffee, yeah. Like you get high with drugs. Like what is... Yeah, maybe he started, you know, slinging lattes and that's how, <laughs> that's how he got his name in junior high. Well, this had a this had a um, an extra layer for me because I uh, my grandfather's nickname was Buzz. Everybody called him Buzz. So that's what I think of. I think of a grandparent when I think of Buzz. Like, oh, look at Buzz. It just it seems like a sweet old grandparent. So that, that when they say you can probably guess where he got it, I I yeah. can't guess where. Got it. And was William a stupid name in the 80s? Especially <laughs> <laughs> just some stupid name like William. Some oh, Buzz. What, what's Egbert's name? <laughs> Winston. Yeah, Winston I mean, can be Winston, but William's got to be Buzz. Oh, my gosh. Um. So, Regina, but like, I think we can skip to the night of the party. Yeah, let's go there. The night of the party at Molly Heck's house, Regina doesn't super want to go, but she she's going to go to, like, support Justin. Um, because, I don't know, she feels like that's her job now, I guess. She needs, he's her friend. Is there also a little sense of, like, sticking it to her brothers? Like, her because her brother is constantly like, yo, I'm going to, like, she doesn't the brother tell the parents about her, her relationship? And yeah. Do you feel like that's part of it where she's like, I'm going to go to this party to, sh- to kind of prove to all the people who are saying I shouldn't go that I can handle myself? I think so much so that if she had not gone to the party, it would have been like a betrayal of Justin because it would have been like she was believing everything that her family had said about him on some level. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I, I wonder if it was... Yes, partially this, um, you know, supporting this new friend of hers that maybe she feels like she understands better than other people do and wanting to give him a chance. But then also kind of trying to prove to other people that they're wrong about him. And because it's like what, you know, Bruce calls her up at one point when he finds out about Buzz kind of going to the party and he calls up Regina and he's like, you really shouldn't go to this party. And then Elizabeth calls up Regina and is like, yeah, I'm really worried about you going to this mm-hmm. party. I wonder if if all those people hadn't said to her, oh, man, you really shouldn't go to this party, if she would have maybe just said, you know what, Justin, you're my friend, but maybe I don't want to go to this party with you. It, was, it yeah. almost seemed like she was going to just, yeah, to stick it to everyone, to show them, like, you guys are are wrong about Justin. He's he's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be okay. And I can control myself. Like, I'm... You know, that's the thing, Regina, her entire life, she's been told she's delicate. You know, there's this thing with the hearing and these other issues. And I think that she is like, you know what? I'm not, I can take care of myself. 
Um, and unfortunately, um, she's wrong. She's wrong. <laughs> yeah, very she's wrong. so wrong. Oh boy. So when um, like word gets out about Buzz specifically, like through you know gossip travels fast. I guess this time for for good in a way, although it comes to not. But um, Jessica gives Elizabeth the idea to call Nicholas Morrow and tell him about Buzz being at this party. Like, there's going to be drugs at this party Regina's going to. And then this crazy nonsense happens with Nicholas where he can't find his wallet and he leaves the house without it. And then he speeds on his way to get to Molly's house, which he doesn't know exactly where it is, except it's on Redwood Street. And he gets pulled over and then he doesn't hate for speeding and he doesn't have his license and he gets taken into the police station. Yeah. I think really good tension building there, right? Like if he could just get to the party, he could save. you know, like something's going to happen. We keep cutting back to his, like, he's like, I'm trying to tell you, you know, like he's, (laughs) and the cops are like, save it for the jury. (laughs) Well, and the really fucked up thing is that it sets him up to save the day perfectly. Mm -hmm. And then he doesn't exactly. So, um, there. What did you guys think of this party at Molly Hecht's house? Oh man! Well, for, I think first with all the tension that was built up, and then I think somewhere in the in the beginning where she gets into the party and it's like super dim and just candle lights or something, and I'm thinking like, oh my god, is this like an eyes wide shut party? <laughs> what is- that's a different book, but I like it. I like where your head's at. It was just, it was, this tension was built up. Um, but yeah, it just kind of seems like it's dark and a bunch of kids, uh, including Molly's younger brother, who is, what, I think, he's supposed to be pretty young. <laughs> yeah, this- we, did, we just know he's under 16, so... 15, 14? Yeah, like, eventually Buzz, like, burst into the party. Like, I know that, listeners, you can't see this, but Craig and Angela can, but he bursts in, like, with his arms wide, and he's like, hey, let's get this party started, like, verbatim. He definitely brings the high to Sweet Valley High. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then, and, like, Ty, the, the, Molly's brother, like, rushes into this bedroom where Regina and Molly and Jan are. Regina's trying to leave, like, she's trying to get her coat, and... There's, they're smoking marijuana in there, and they're giving Regina a hard time. Like, um, they say, what's the matter? Haven't you ever smelled dope before? And Regina says, of course I have. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, t- the point is that Ty rushes into this room and is like, Buzz has got the stuff out. You better hurry up and get some before it's all gone. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah. Really bad the stuff he knows his supply and demand you know it's yeah. simple economics but yeah, it, yeah the party the party definitely you can see her sort of slipping into that peer pressure uh, yeah well like, she's drinking beer that's part of it yeah, she drinks beer which i guess the, the book also makes a, um, at a point to mention that that's not something she does like she does not drink alcohol she doesn't have a beer at Kelly's when they go to Kelly's earlier. Right. She has she has Coke. Not not the kind of Coke that's going to be at this party, but like right. you know, the... Oh, but that was foreshadowing when she, when Regina drinks a Coke at <laughs> Kelly's earlier. <laughs> and Justin doesn't give her a hard time about it. No, no. As soon as this cocaine comes out... Oh, oh we should also say that um, Jan has given Regina a really hard time about like trying to steal Justin away from them. And like... She's trying to steal Molly's boyfriend, even though they're not together. Like, she's really aggressive, and Regina feels very uncomfortable, which is probably fueling her, like, 
beer drinking. It's like, I guess I might as Justin is like away with Molly somewhere. Like she really wants to get out of there. But in the meantime, she's drinking. She's, she's feeling the peer pressure. Like you're saying, she's feeling the peer pressure. She's in a new environment that she's never been in before with this new friend who she's trying to help and be there for. And, and then she's being told that she's, you know, someone who steals boyfriends when her boyfriend was just kind of stolen away from her. And so in her mind, it, it she kind of, it seems like it goes through the conflict where she's like, is she like Amy? No, she's not like Amy, but she can understand why Molly would look so hurt in seeing um, Regina and Justin together. And she's like trying to explain like, we're just friends. And then she's having all these epiphanies about how, um, well, I guess nobody can really steal a boyfriend away if a relationship is not as stable anyway. Just she seems to be having a lot of realizations at that party. Yeah. And yeah. So no wonder yeah. she she needs to have a drink. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it started before she even went to the party, right? Because she writes a mysterious letter that we don't know what it is. She feels bad about snapping at Elizabeth. She writes a letter and puts it in the mail. We don't know to who. But she, yeah, she's starting to to like really, like realize that Bruce and her relationship was probably had its own problems, like you're saying. So great, she's having an epiphany. Perfect, wonderful. Um, so she goes downstairs and she's trying to leave, but Justin is like, um, "Well, I'm gonna just read. I'm gonna read the scene. Um, well, am I gonna read the scene?" No, I'm not going to read it because I want to read the scene where she actually does the does the cocaine. But I'll read a, a moment of it. So so when Regina's trying to leave the party, she ends up not leaving because Justin, he doesn't want to leave Molly behind at her party because he's afraid that she's going to get into something even worse than cocaine. Like Buzz has been trying to get her to try heroin, which is, you know, even more shocking to Regina. She's like receiving shock upon shock at this party. But <laughs> there's a line that I thought was kind of funny, just it. It's so nefarious and, like, after-school special. Um, it says, Regina blushed. She still felt woozy, and she really wanted to get outside, but now that appeared impossible. Come over and sit down, Jan added and grinned at the others. Don't you think Regina needs a little something to pep her up? She looks kind of pale. Speaking of pale, Buzz said, taking a small packet of white powder out of his bag, would you all just take a look at this? So everybody's like looking with like odd reverence at, at um, Buzz's bag of cocaine. Great transition, Buzz. He was just waiting <laughs> yeah. for someone to say anything drug related. You know, so Regina doesn't want to do cocaine, but she's scandalized. Like when they, when he, when she sees it, when she sees it laid out, they give her shit for like, oh, haven't you ever seen a line of coke before? And she's like, what does it do to you? And you know, can it hurt you? Can you get hooked on it? And all the kids are like, is that what they're teaching you now? You can get addicted to cocaine. Um, so she starts to think like, you know, this seems pretty, pretty harmless. It's just a little powder. Just a little powder. Yeah. Um, so here it is. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna read it. So Regina snorts a line of coke through a $20 bill. At first, all Regina felt was a sudden, sharp, burning sensation in her nose. That was it. She felt exactly the way she had before she snorted the coke. Only, maybe a little less scared? Suddenly it seemed idiotic to have cared. Have her do another line, Molly said. Sometimes you don't feel anything the first time. No way, Justin argued. Have her do another line, Molly said again. Her voice sounded like iron. 
Regina couldn't move. She just kept thinking how stupid she'd been to think this was a big deal. This is great, Regina said, grinning happily as Jan held her head down. Sniff up, baby. You need another hit, Jan said. Buzz, help me. I just want to point out that Ty Hecht was er worried earlier that they were going to run out of cocaine. So this seems like a real waste of cocaine here. Uh, lots anyway. of back in there. I mean, Jan is holding her head down. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. intense. And Molly's like, yeah. make iron, iron voice says, <laughs> yeah. make her do another. Okay, so continuing on. Regina saw her own face as she leaned back down over the mirror. A long line of white powder zoomed up beneath her. Snort it, Jan commanded, pushing her face down toward the glass. Regina tried to protest, but she couldn't. The next thing she knew, the inside of her nose felt like fire, and her heart began to pound. Wow, she said weakly, lifting up her head. I guess, I guess I'm really kind of high. Everyone laughed, and so did Regina. She felt so weird. She felt as if she could do absolutely anything, as if she were the most powerful person in the whole world. But something was wrong with her chest. Her heart was beating really fast, as if she had been running. She couldn't really breathe. "'What's that noise?' she said thickly to Justin and reached out weakly for his arm. "'What noise?' he demanded, still grinning at her. "'Beating,' Regina said, "'like drums.' "'Hey, I think she's going to be sick,' Molly said, anxious. "'Why is her face so pale?' "'Like drums,' Regina repeated. "'Her pulse is really fast,' Justin said, hand on her wrist. "'That must be what she means about drums.' I think she's feeling her heartbeat. Get her to lie down. She'll be okay, Buzz said nonchalantly. He handed the rolled-up bill to Jan. I think I'm sick, Regina said, struggling for control. Her face was ashen now, and it was almost impossible to understand her. My chest hurts, she added, putting her hand over her heart. Is that supposed to happen? Frowning, Justin turned to Molly and Jan. Turn down the music, he ordered. She needs to lie down for a second, that's all. He picked Regina up in his arms and then carried her over to the couch. Her breathing was ragged, and her face was ghostly pale. Get some wet paper towels, Justin ordered Ty. I don't know what that's about. Um, he leaned over Regina, his own face blanching as he listened to her tortured breathing. Molly, he said a minute later, call 911. I think she's passed out. Don't be an idiot, Buzz hollered. You're going to call the cops? We've got to do something, Justin said grimly. There's something wrong with her, Buzz. Look at the way she's breathing. Wait a minute. Someone's at the door, Ty said, running to answer it. Everyone froze as the door burst open and two policemen raced into the room with Nicholas Morrow right behind them. End of the chapter. Yeah, pretty intense. Pretty intense stuff there. Yeah. It's really so much dark. It's so much like they have this kind of direct like discussion of like the act of like snorting cocaine. It's so outside of the realm of anything that's happened in these books up to this point. Do you think the author did any research? <laughs> Personal research. And she was like, man, I am so high. Get me paper towels. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She, she was like Regina. She was like, I'm going to go to one of these parties. Let's see what they do. Okay, mirror. Okay, $20 bill. That must be how you always do it. Okay. Yeah, again, I had no expectation of what these books were going in, but def definitely was surprised that they you know, went that far with it. And it wasn't yeah. just like, oh, they, you know, the drugs are there. And Regina was like, I'm out of here. I, you're different than I thought. 
Well, I feel like the book basically just taught you how to do cocaine also. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a perfect in- instruction manual. So, Although maybe if you're like a kid that's trying to be cool like Regina and like not give in to peer pressure, if you already know how the mechanics of doing cocaine work, maybe it'll be easier to say no because you're just like, oh, yeah, that stuff, whatever. Yeah. Oh, you guys use a $20 bill? I never snort coke out of less than a $100 bill. And then they don't have a $100 bill. So you're like, guess I can't do it. Kids listening, I hope you're not listening, but if you are, that's how you refuse cocaine. Mm-hmm. Although if they call your bluff and have a $100 bill, then you're in trouble. That's, that's not good. Yeah. Then you have to run. Then leave immediately. I'm surprised yeah. Buzz was in more help. Like he's definitely been, since he's been doing this so long, he's had to have seen overdoses in the past. Yeah. Why didn't he have one of those kits like... I guess that wouldn't help. Sorry, I was thinking about Pulp Fiction, but that's, yeah, Pulp that's the opposite. That's a down. That's like after a downer, not, not an upper. I don't think a shot of adrenaline would have helped Regina, who we learn is shortly after, after this, we learn um, has had a heart attack. Yeah. Because she had um, an undiagnosed heart, or she had a heart murmur since birth. She knew about that, but she didn't know that it's, in a, it's very rare cases. But this is how cocaine can affect your heart. Yeah, so it's also teaching kids if you don't have a hard murmur, you're probably going <laughs> to <laughs> Well, speaking of what it's teaching kids, like, so Regina does not um, immediately die. And I, I, I kind of, I had highlighted this scene where Bruce and Elizabeth, who Regina asks for when Nicholas, she can talk to Nicholas when he gets there. And she tells him, like, it's nobody's fault. I want to see Bruce and Elizabeth. And so he calls them to the hospital. Very, like, very crazy. I highlighted the scene where they find out that she's died, but I kind of don't want to read it because I feel like of of any like triggering thing in this whole series, this this scene is like is very is very triggering in terms of like bad feelings of of like I don't know, like hospital dread, you know, waiting wait that waiting room feeling. It's so terrible. So I'm not gonna read it. Um Gladiators, you already know that Regina dies. And now we have to live with that. And one of the things that Elizabeth thinks to herself in her anger after Regina dies is this. The injustice was so dreadful that she could barely stand it. Why Regina? What had Regina ever done to deserve this kind of terrible end? And I read that sentence and I was like, yeah, Sweet Valley High series. Yeah, Francine. Like, what has Regina done? This poor girl. She's overcome adversity. She's been a sweet and nice. She's been one of the good rich kids. She cares about people. The, we care about her. Why? Why did she have to die like this? She's already been through so much. She was held hostage yeah. for a period of time in her life. Yeah. Have Caroline Pierce die of a cocaine overdose accidentally. Like, nobody ca- Nobody will miss Caroline. I mean, I'm sorry, Caroline, but it's just, like, one more gossip. Like, that was the only thing you had going for you, and now you're cured of it. So, like... I didn't Amy, see... Yeah, Amy. I, I'd be cool with Amy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought, first off, when they went to the party, I thought Mimi was going to be the one who overdosed. Teaching Regina... Really? Yeah, teaching Gina... Uh, Regina a, oh, no, a, okay. a valuable lesson. Molly? What did I Molly. say? Molly. You said Mimi. Yes, Molly. <laughs> Molly. I thought Molly was going to be the one. If Mimi overdosed, that would really be like her research has gone terribly wrong. And then I thought that Ju- Justin was going to be like, oh no, somebody else close to me has died. And then like they would kind of in their, in that grief kind of get together, right? I didn't think they were going to kill off a 
main character. And then when they were in the hospital, I was thinking like, okay, like everyone's going to come. They're going to learn their lesson. Bruce is going to feel bad. They're going to get back together. No, it just kept going downhill. So it was very, very shocking for me to, to see this main character kind of actually die uh, in the book. Yeah, well, it was shocking for me the first time. And it was shocking again, the second time. What happens is that the school calls like an assembly to kind of set the record straight about what happened to Regina. And this is the scene where we're really getting the like, okay, kids, like, this is why you you need to learn not to do drugs. Like, every all of your all of your friends at Sweet Valley High have resolved to, you know, stay sober and straight. And uh, you should too. So um, I didn't know you could die from cocaine. Caroline Pierce said miserably. My older sister has friends who claim it's great stuff. Yeah, I'll bet, Winston said unhappily. I know one thing, I'm never going to try it. Me neither, Lila seconded. I know some of my dad's colleagues have kids who use coke all the time. Boy, I'm sure glad I never wanted to. She shuddered. Elizabeth felt numb as she walked beside Jeffrey and Enid into the auditorium. She wished there was some way Regina could have known in advance how dangerous the drug was. It seemed terrible that they were all finding out now, only because Regina had become a victim. I'm reading Little Women right now, like I'm just about to finish it. And Louisa May Alcott does this totally baller thing where she'll just quit talking in the in the world of the book and start talking right to the reader. Like, this is the lesson that I'm trying to get across to you, reader. Like, what do you think? And then at the end of the speech, she'll be like, you're probably bored of this sermon by now, but let's return to our characters as they as and I, I feel like Kate William in, in air quotes, could have totally done that at this point, like reader. Don't you want to resolve not to do cocaine as well? Or any drug for that matter. Mm-hmm. So Elizabeth is feeling really guilty. Everybody, Elizabeth, Bruce, maybe not Amy so much, but everybody is feeling so guilty about being responsible for Regina's death. Um, Elizabeth feels absolved a little bit by the letter that she receives from Regina. Oh, the, the letter was for Elizabeth. And it uh, totally tells her, like, I'm sorry I snapped at you. Um, I know that we're friends. Friends forever. Mm. Yeah, that so really sad. turns the knife there at the end. Yeah. yeah. But Anjali, you had wanted to say something about, like, investigating who who killed Regina. Who's responsible? Oh, I think, yeah, I, I think Greg had mentioned that, too. Yeah, of, of like, who's... who's. Yeah, if we have to draw the line here, here, who's really to blame for the death? Is it Buzz? Is it Bruce? Is it Amy for starting this whole thing off? What about Jan? I is mean, it Jan for holding, yes. literally yes. Not holding her head right? Down? Like Jan it is was literally, literally Jan. holding her head into the cocaine and was Although Molly did say the thing with like an iron voice, like, have her do another line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it Justin? You know, Justin brought her, mm-hmm. you know, like if it wasn't for him, she never would have gone to that party. Yeah, I was also surprised that Justin didn't um didn't like protect her a little bit more and wasn't like, hey guys, how about Lay off. Yeah, how about you leave her alone and don't make her do cocaine because he obviously doesn't like buzz either. And and I was surprised that he didn't like, you know, yeah. look out bit. for her yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. Although I will say that the, for as far as the first line is concerned, Regina does say that she wants to do it. I mean, she wouldn't have gotten there without the peer pressure, but she does say like, I want to do this. I want to try it. But yeah, no, Jan is the one who is like holding the smoking gun here, I think. But, um, I mean, I, I guess Regina's the one who went to the party and snorted the cocaine. 
How about the cocaine, the people that make the cocaine? How about like the government? Oh, so it's, it's a government. Yeah. Sentence. Yeah. <laughs> that was two separate thoughts. I'm not suggesting that the government makes the cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't they? I'm just looking for someone to blame you guys. Now I blame um, Bantam books for killing Regina Morrow. So they have this really, really heart wrenching funeral um, at which we have the saddest ever Collins Watch 2020. Uh, Mr. Collins appears to make a speech where he proves exactly why everybody loves him so much. And it's not because he's sexy and his strawberry blonde sexiness is not even so much as mentioned. He was Regina's favorite teacher and was loved and respected by everyone. Elizabeth listened eagerly as he began to talk about Regina. Somehow she felt she could derive strength from what he said. Many of us in this room today were lucky enough to know Regina Morrow, he said in a loud, strong voice. Some of us were lucky enough to be her friend. A very few were lucky enough to have loved her and to have been loved by her in return. But I think we all share this afternoon in a profound feeling of loss. It is occasionally claimed that young people have no understanding of suffering, that they are exempt from tragedy. Your loss this past week shows how false such a claim is. The truth is, no one is exempt from tragedy. To be human is to be susceptible to pain. Silence followed as Mr. Collins cleared his throat. My job here at Sweet Valley High is to teach English literature. I suppose if literature has a lesson for us, it's how to learn from the lessons life teaches us. How to endure. Oof. It was like, oh, whoa. I was struck by it. Then I went back and read it, and I thought, I don't know if literature has a lesson for us is how to learn from the lessons life teaches us is quite on second blush is quite as profound as I thought it was the first time I read it through. He uses the word lesson twice. Yeah. But... It's like a songwriter who can't quite make a rhyme work and they're like, eh, let me just. <laughs> or it's also a bit of a syllogism. It's like, if literature has a lesson for us, it's that lessons are lessons and we need to learn <laughs> And literature lessons. is literature. Uh, I have a question. Does, uh, beyond the book, do, do Bruce and Amy stay together. Do they are they bonded by this tragedy? Are they torn mm. asunder by it? I don't believe so. I think Bruce is chasing for a while and then he moves on and that's an important book where he moves on, he gets his own book again. Uh, we find out that Justin and Molly haven't even talked to each other. Justin and Molly are new characters in this book and they're the ones that the book decides to follow into the next chapter. Mm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because yeah. at the end, I guess, um, th- they say something about how no one has seen Justin and Molly at school since since Regina died, which is yeah. probably, for, for their sake, probably better, because everyone is pretty pissed at both yeah. of them. Yeah, they, people don't really know what really happened, and they don't really know Justin either, right? So Bruce has said that he wants to kill Justin, like he clearly blames Justin. So what did you guys think of uh, this uh, Edna St. Vincent Millay, uh, like, mic drop at the end of the book? This poem that Nicholas reads, that Regina's brother reads. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember. I'd have to look at it again. Yeah, look at it. There's something that, though, is so perfect, I think, of this book. Like, I'm sorry. I apologize. It's it's about time uh, for me to apologize to you both for having put you through this this very painful (laughs) volume. Um, but I'm glad that you are the are the ones joining me for this uh, deep dive into On the Edge, a seminal 
part of the Sweet Valley High Irv, if not my favorite to read or revisit. Um, but we all met basically as a part of a like writing group in poetry group that That's we right. did a few yeah. times. Yeah. I mean, we it wasn't ex- expressly for poetry, but there was a lot of poetry happening in that group. So yeah. I mean, I, I, I love the dissent of the poem. I enjoy. I enjoyed that it was included. I don't know if it was wholly appropriate, if I remember correctly. Did you find it to be appropriate? Yeah, I had to read it a couple times. Um, you know, it's kind of a downer. It's basically like it sucks that ev- that people everybody has to die. Is basically <laughs> the message that I was taking away from the poem. Like it's hard, but but it is. I think it, it harkens back to what Mr. Collins says about kind of persevering, um, facing the challenges of life. It's because she says repeatedly in this poem, "I am not resigned." You know, it's like. Death comes for all of us, but I have not resigned myself to death. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's great. I'm, I'm glad that that's, uh, that's in there. If, if, if for no other reason, then it gets Sweet Valley High readers, like, interested in, <laughs> in poetry. Yeah. Do any of the other books deal with drug use, death? Uh, is this kind of an outlier? As, as the- I mean, up to this point, there's been only been, like, one guy who was taking pills, and that was kind of crazy. But I, I, I think we're going to go there more as the series gets on, goes on and we get further into the nineties and it it's um, it's the books become a little bit trashier for lack of a better term. But um, a lot of that is in an area where I actually haven't read the books yet. So I only glean this from the covers or from what I know. Um, but mostly like talking about drinking and pills is like as far as the books have gone. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah. I have a very important question for you both that we ask in every episode of Sweet Valley Diaries, which is um, each of you individually, are you a Jessica or an Elizabeth? I'm, I'm definitely an Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, the, the, the one who would try to reach out to a friend and not care so much about the gossip and sensationalizing things and um, possibly make a mistake, but, you know, all with good intentions. I don't know, Jessica seems a little bit, um, like, for me, Elizabeth seems a little bit more well-intentioned than the two. I think that's an accurate assessment. Um, but now that puts a lot of pressure on you, Greg, to answer honestly. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, I'm a Jessica. (laughs) Yeah? Would it um, surprise you to learn that you are not the first uh, married couple of guests on this program to be part Elizabeth, part Jessica? I think everybody's got a little Jessica in them and a little Elizabeth, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's hard to say. Yeah, again, this is the only book I've read, but, you know, <laughs> Jessica likes to stir shit up and see what happens. and yeah, that's, that, that's exciting. Is that what you do? I don't know if I stir shit up, but I, I like the, I, you know, I'm, as a writer and filmmaker and stuff, I like to see where the drama goes, so. Okay, I appreciate that. Uh, I'm thinking right now, since this is extra long, about making this, like, one mega episode to be, like, the season finale, rather than doing, like, an extra drama. So I wanted to ask you guys something, or, or maybe I just wanted to talk about it myself. Something that I was thinking about during this book 
was this video that I saw in health class when I was in seventh or eighth grade. In Mr. LaPose's class, Westchester Middle School, there was this video that we watched. We watched all sorts of videos that were trying to teach us lessons in, in health class. And one of them was about these two kids, like young kids, that go rummaging around in like an older brother's, uh, like under his bed. And they find cocaine there and they snort it. And one of them dies because he has an undiagnosed heart problem. And I think that, I think I have not forgotten it to this day because I feel like it actually like was very effective for me. Like I have always been sort of scared of hard drugs. Like, and I think that it was stuff like that. It was in my head. Like, oh, if you go down this path, it's like so it's like dark and brooding and death and like scary music and like the all those scary commercials from the 80s the like this is your brain on drugs and like I learned it by watching you dad um, <laughs> I was wondering if either of you had any kind of like memories from when you were younger about like anti-drug campaigns of the you know the 80s and 90s Yeah definitely Yeah well I I remember I remember Dare coming to my school a lot and doing, I mean, I feel like it was multiple times a year there would be some sort of talk or discussion around the dangers of drugs. And I, I vaguely remember, um, like some, like actually a person coming in. Like, I, I don't even remember the video, but I remember a person coming in through D.A.R.E. and talking about their experience uh, of how drugs, and I, I think they were talking specifically, they, they were going down the slippery slope uh, argument of how they started, you know, with alcohol, which turned to marijuana, which turned to cocaine, which turned to heroin and meth, and and then now he'd, like, been in rehab, and, and I remember that affecting me a lot, and then just kind of learning, like, oh, gosh, with cocaine, there's... Like, you're going to feel like your heart is beating out of your chest and, and it's going to burn and, and that... I, I just... So much of it was like, this will feel really uncomfortable and then really good and then it will ruin your life. And for right, me, yeah. I was just stopped cold with the this will feel uncomfortable part. <laughs> <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. I'm like, oh god. I remember a... Uh, a video that they showed us and it was more about, it was, it was around drinking where a bunch of kids got together and you know, they're drinking and it's basically like Bud Light, you know, it's like silver cans of beer that are unlabeled and one of the kids thinks it's a great idea to jump off of his deck, like his second story deck and he uh -huh. like lands and dies, he either dies or he like severely injures himself or something like that and I remember thinking, uh, like that, that image of the guy falling off of that, that deck always stuck in my head, but I don't remember seeing any, you know, really hardcore, like don't do cocaine, don't do heroin until I was maybe in like high school where they started doing. Well, yeah. I feel like a lot of that stuff was also very vague about what drug they were talking about. Yeah. Like right. the, this is your brain on drugs thing was just about drugs in general. It was yeah, not I mean, specific. That, that ad just made me hungry because that egg looks so good. <laughs> that was like breakfast. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember any commercial. We did, we had Dare as well. We had, yeah. a, we had a cop come in 
and he had like a suitcase full of drugs and, he, and again very vague he was like these oh are gosh. drugs and they'll kill you and then like snap the case closed and you're like oh uh, the the uh the book being like an instruction manual for how to do it i think so much of that early education uh and i don't know if this is true for everybody but it was like you said extremely vague it didn't say exactly what it was or how it works or what it did to you just that you shouldn't do it and I, I wonder yeah. if that was the right way to go. I mean, I wonder if, you know, like you said, if Regina had known more about it, if she could say, like, no, I know what this is and I don't yeah. want to do it. Maybe so. Well, it's been so tremendous having you both on the program. Did you have anything else that you want to talk about? Um, well, I guess well, the, the last thing I'll say is that the book did end. They did a good job ending the book, making me want to read the next book. Oh, well, it's actually perfectly appropriate at this juncture for one or both of you to read the teaser for book 41, which also doubles as a teaser for season um, five of Sweet Valley Diaries coming at you at a future date, gladiators. Justin and Molly are at that memorial, and mm-hmm. um, I think, like, Elizabeth or somebody sees um, Molly go up to Justin and... She she tries to talk to him because of course we we find out somehow that Molly and Justin haven't spoken either since Regina died. So she tries to speak to Justin and he um, he just does not want to listen to her. He like jerks away from her touch and he just leaves. Like he does not want to talk to her. And then at the end it says, "Will anyone in Sweet Valley ever talk to Molly Hecht again? Find out in Sweet Valley High." Number 41, Outcast. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, oh no. What? Poor Molly. I, I, well, I kind of, I mean, I don't feel super bad for her, but I do want to know if he's going to talk to her. <laughs> yeah, like that specifically. Absolutely. I kind of I want to know what's going on in their heads. Is uh, she going to stop doing drugs, too? Is she going to clean up her act? Is, you know? Yeah, she's got to break away from that awful Jan Brown. So I just, it, it definitely, it did a good job making me feel like, but, but oh, I can only imagine back when, you know, we didn't have the, the satisfaction of, like, you know, when a Netflix series comes out, you can just binge watch the whole season or something yeah you actually have to wait until the next book is published and i'd be like oh my god i need to know i would be so so annoyed if i had to wait well this is your way of asking me if i can send you book 41 of sweet valley high (laughs) i certainly can (laughs) i have your address (laughs) oh man i think that this is how you've gotten me hooked into this. Much. Yay! Finally, I roped one in. <laughs> you have hooked me onto Sweet Valley High. Uh, well, Greg and Anjali, thank you so much. Um, Gladiators, thank you so much. It's we'll find out a way um, as the weeks unfold in hiatus to kind of keep in touch and keep something going because um, this is not a time when I feel super comfortable leaving you all with um, dead air and dead space. Um, In the meantime, you can follow me at Sweet Valley Diaries on Instagram or at Sweet Valley on Twitter. Read the blog. It's SweetValleyDiaries.net. It's existed since 2006. So there's a lot of stuff up there. And also, you can listen to me on a podcast called Not Another Bad Movie Podcast. The episode that was released on April 11th is about a Lifetime movie called Insta Psycho. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's fun. 
Um, shoot me an email, sweetvalleydiaries at me.com. Thank you so much to everybody who has written um, a note or an email in the, the past few weeks, especially those of you who have reached out to say that um, the podcast is like helping you stay like upbeat or like be distracted or whatever, because that is, is really, really meaningful uh, to me. Uh, deeply like that's kind of the whole point of doing something like this uh there's not a whole lot of great reasons to talk about sweet valley high as much as i do so that is a really really good one do you all have anything that you would like to uh to plug listeners can can check out what you are doing in your lives you both are doing so many amazing things very much uh appropriate to this to this era of media i just finished a music video for an artist called Sophie Strauss. The song is called Gone, and the music video is a very 80s-style homage, very, uh, you know, John Hughes kind of road trip, romantic thing. Um, we actually printed the the video down to VHS tapes. Oh, my gosh. And uh, we are doing, like, a limited sort of release of these VHS tapes as an art project, but the, the video will be available online for everybody to see. Again, it's called Gone by uh, Sophie Strauss. When is that um, going to be available? Can I put a link in the show notes? Yeah, so the song drops April 14th, and the video will be available wide April 15th. Okay, great. So look at look for a link in the notes for the show to watch the Sophie Strauss video that Greg directed. And I, um, I'm a naturopathic doctor, so I do um, holistic family medicine, and I um, see patients virtually, obviously, right now, um, being able to be... Uh, support and help guide people in, in getting their health and wellness as um, good as it can be. Um, mm-hmm. That's a lot of what I work on. And then on my Instagram, I share a lot of health and wellness tips and I teach virtual classes on um, anxiety support, sleep support, things like that. So I, I always keep that updated on my Instagram. Awesome. Well, I will put a link to that uh, in the show notes as well. It's so good to see you and to have this nice long conversation with you both. Thank you for reading the book. Thank you. I feel like we've supported each other through this harrowing time, sorrowful time. I feel like the loss might be hitting me a little bit harder than you two just because I spent a little more time with the character. Not to compare, you know, to compare grief, you know, to compare trauma. It's never a good idea, but... um, I'm glad. I hope that I have not traumatized you deeply with uh, I, I, that. I do think that had I had I been reading the books up until I think that it would have hit me a lot harder. So just getting to know Regina and being like, oh, she's kind of cool. And oh, God, no, you're dead now. It was um, it was a, a, you know, just pulling a, you know, putting a bandaid on and ripping it right off. Right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, not as bad as if the bandaid is really stuck on there really, really hard. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all so much. And thank you, gladiators. I'll talk to you soon. Don't worry. Bye. Okay, last time. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions?